Praise God. What wonderful words to begin declaring in song about our Savior and all that he has done for us. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 John chapter 1. We are uh, in our second week studying 1 John, but we're going to be in these same first four verses that we looked at last week, verses 1 through 4. I kind of want to just dive right back in and, and remind you of what we saw. We saw first, of course, that the Apostle John wrote this uh, letter, this uh, epistle. And so this was an eyewitness of Jesus. He heard, he saw, he touched the living and the risen Lord. But then we looked at who this book was written to and what kind of world they lived in. And we saw that this was uh, written to a handful of churches there in Asia Minor, Ephesus being the main one that John had served as an elder at, but then he oversaw a handful of other churches. You can think of the churches listed in, in the beginning of Revelation. And what was significant or, or interesting about these churches is they were in a cultural crossroads there. Uh, that, that people traveling from Europe uh, to, to the east had to pass through there, and they had main uh, ports, I guess you'd say, there on the Mediterranean, and, and many uh, trade paths passed through there. And so what you got in Ephesus and in all these other places was a smorgasbord of religion and philosophy and ideology. Again, if you look through Acts, uh, as it talks about when Paul was first going to these places, you see all the different gods that they worshipped. And what was really interesting about them is no one was a devout anything. They were a devout everything. What I mean by that is they would take all these different philosophies, all these different religions, all these different ideologies, and they would push them together, put them in a blender, if you will, and say, boom, there's my religion. There's my way of life. And they, by the way, did not care if Christianity was put in that blender. And you could even label what came out as Christianity as long as it included all these other religions and all these other philosophies. And so what you end up with at the end of that is a thing called Christianity that is not Christianity. You had people saying, I can be a Christian, but live however I would like. I can be a Christian and go against the very word of God. Or on the other hand, you had a, a religion, a Christianity, a so-called Christianity that made people proud and feel superior to intimidate other people and kind of throw their weight around in this lovelessness. But as we've seen, there is, there is God's word, and this is what he's told us, you know, I think about this. I mean, really, just think about this. People are making a religion up. They're, they're walking down the buffet line of religion and saying, I want a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And then they are saying, yep, that's what I'm going to base my entire life and eternity on. That's terrifying to me. That is absolutely terrifying to say, my whole eternal life is based on something that comes out of my wisdom my choices, my desires. 
I mean, that, that, that's terrifying. I would so much rather my, my, my faith be on this faithful resting place, on, on the, the living word of God, on truth. But that is the world they lived in. A world that said, oh, there is no one truth. Does that sound familiar to any of you? <laughs> they lived in exactly the same world we live in. Maybe we have an even worse world in that way. I don't know. But syncretism was rampant. The only thing that was uh, excluded was exclusivity. You can't have an exclusive Christianity. But my, my question for you today is, as I think about this, is why? Why would someone take the truths of Christianity and add a little bit of this or take away a little bit of this and say, that, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to live by. That's what I'm going to entrust my eternal life to. Why, why would a person do that? And here's my answer. I think it was true in John's day and I think it's true in our day. The only reason I can think of that we would edit the Bible, add to or take away from the Bible is that we believe it will make us happier we believe our version of christianity will be a version that will make us happier that that will bring us greater joy greater satisfaction okay god's cool right like yeah that's good i want that in my life i want christ i want my ticket out of hell but i still want to do these sinful things i still want to live in sexual immorality i still want to get drunk i still want to be greedy and materialistic I still uh, want to serve only myself. People think that they can, they can have Jesus and have their, their flesh too, but in it they, they lose everything. They try to save their life and lose it, is kind of the way Jesus put it actually. People believe it will make them happier to alter the gospel, to add to, take away from but I believe that John, and what we'll see today, addresses this head on. If you want to look in your Bibles at verse 4, we'll read the whole passage here in just a moment. But look at what he says. The purpose statement for this letter is, And we are writing these things so that our joy, or your joy, depending on your translation, may be complete. I, John, and any of his friends there, are, am writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Your joy, my joy, complete joy, full joy. That word, by the way, um, is, a, is a great one there. That, that word complete, it's plerao, it's, it's full, it's, it's uh, lacking nothing, fully satisfied, filled up. I'm writing these things so that your joy may be lacking nothing, filled up to the brim. This is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. And so what, what I think John's doing is he is seeing the motivation for why a person would alter the gospel and saying, look, what I'm going to proclaim to you, this is the path to fullness of joy. This truth, not any truth, this truth is what will make your joy complete. He's looking at their root motivation, and I would say our root motivation for any reason we would alter the gospel or even live differently than the truth that God gives us in his word. So I think all of us should, should listen intently today. I think we need to make sure that our lives and our eternities aren't 
hanging on our wants and our desires and our man-made religion. We need to make sure we're on the path that John and Jesus tells us will lead to fullest joy. So let's read uh, all of that passage, verses 1 through 4, and see what this path is. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That is God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for revealing truth to us. Thank you for inspiring the Apostle John to write this letter to churches that were in such a similar situation to ours, where people could call whatever mixture of religion Christianity and it seem okay. God, we we recognize that that's the world we live in. That all a person has to do to, to feel comfortable is to just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe. God, I pray that you would help us not to settle for our own ideas, our our own opinions about truth and what we would like Christianity to look like. God, I I pray that you would help us to settle for nothing less than fullness of joy And help us to realize that that joy is only found in Christ and in fellowship with you, God. God, we need you. We need you for this work. Again, we we live in such a, a twisted generation. Do this miracle in us, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many of you enjoy theology. I bet three guys back there do. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how many of you enjoy theology or even Christology. Theology is simply the study of God. Christology is the study of Christ Jesus. I don't know how many of you are like, I cannot wait to get a new systematic theology book. But when the Apostle John wanted his readers to have the highest, fullest joy... That's exactly where he takes them. He takes them to a deep theology and specifically a deep Christology. He wants them to know the truth about Christ Jesus. That he believes, and and I believe he is right as he's led by the Spirit, is the way to this fullness of joy. So today I sort of want to look at, at what path Does John take them down and then say, I'm telling you guys these things so that you can have complete joy. 
You're looking for joy in all these other places. You're all confused. But I'm telling you, it's right here. Where does he take them? Well, it is going to be all about Jesus. Again, it will be Christologically deep, but it is still about us. And as we'll see, a common word um, today in the passage is this word life. The word of life. The life. The eternal life. And so that is the title for today's sermon, The Life. And we'll be, again, talking all about Jesus because he is the life. And that's number one, if you want to write things down. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. What I mean by this is that God the Son, or, or Jesus if you like, I'm, I'm going to be using the term Jesus to speak about even before the incarnation, so that's just uh, easier to understand that way. What I mean by this is that Jesus has always had and always will have eternal life in and of himself. Jesus has always existed as life and always will continue to exist as life. We see this both explicitly and implicitly in the text. In the middle of verse, let's say it's four there. No, not four. The, the end of, of verse two, he, he says, the eternal life which was with the Father. So we have Jesus is the eternal life. It's interesting that, that he, he kind of just labels Jesus with this name or this title, the eternal life, when he's clearly talking about Jesus, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus is eternal life. Again, when we think about eternality, we, we, we think, okay, Christians, we, we believe in Jesus and we get eternal life. So we tend to think of eternal life as never ending because that's how it works for us. There, there is no end because we had a beginning. What we need to understand is that's, that's true for us as creatures, but it is not true for God. It is not true for God the Son. He is one who, yes, he will exist forever with eternal life, but he has always existed. He has always been life it's interesting i mean you think well what do you even mean he is life well it could mean a lot of things that we wouldn't have enough time to cover but one thing i want to point out to you about this life is that the eternal life jesus gave life to everything else we think about creation i think john even points us to that that which was from the beginning the beginning of what beginning of creation and it says there further on uh, which was with the father the eternal life which was with the father this is talking about at creation this this jesus this god the son was there from the beginning he was already there he was always there and he always was eternal life and then life comes from him in uh, the gospel of john uh, this is how he starts verses one through four in the gospel of john it says, in the beginning was the Word. So the Word is the title he uses for Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life 
was the life of men. Even uh, Acts, I want to say 3.15, Peter is is giving a, a sermon and he says, you guys killed the author of life. So get this. Jesus is eternal life, has always been life in its essence. And then that life bubbles over and spills into creation. And God gives life. Yes, he made inanimate objects like rocks and ground and water and sky and things like that. But he made living things, right? Plants, birds, fish, animals. And at the height of that, living creatures, humans that were also made in the image of God, able to have a relationship with God. This is the life that bubbled over. I don't know about you, but I find that to be a beautiful picture and just gives so much more significance to the creation we see around us. All of this that that you see living and growing and making your your sinuses go crazy, (laughs) all of this is the bubbled over eternal life of Christ. You say, well, how is that significant for our joy? I mean, sure, it's neat. It's a neat Christology. But how is that significant for our joy? So if joy is what you're seeking, don't you think you should look to the one who created you and gave you the capacity for joy? It is not an accident that we can feel joy. It is not an accident that we long for joy. That is a part of the life that bubbled over in Christ into us. Don't you think we should look to the one who gave us that capacity if we're seeking joy? If we're, we're looking to make our life most satisfying, most joyful, to function most fully, don't you think we should look to the author and architect of our lives? Again, We started with people choose different ways because they believe it will make them happy. But John is is saying here, look, don't don't listen to your finite mind with, with little wisdom, little knowledge, little understanding. Why don't you look to eternal life, the one who gave you life, and see what his path for joy is. You say, yeah, but... That, that, that makes sense, but what direction does Jesus give me? What path does Jesus say I should follow with my life? This will be number two if you like to write things down. Jesus is the word of life. So Jesus is eternal life, and Jesus is the word of life. We see it there again in uh, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Then he kind of goes into a parenthesis here in verse 2. The life, Jesus, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. This is an interesting one that 
it took me a lot of, a lot of time to figure this out and a lot of commentaries and a lot of just praying it through. Because there's a question here as I look at, at these verses. What does John mean by the word of life? Is he talking about Jesus? Is Jesus the word of life? Or is the word of life the message about how we can have life? And I would say this is, this is significant because, you know, we just read John 1, 1, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here you have the Word of life, same author. But then also in John, we have uh, in chapter 6, 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, the words that I have spoken to you, are spirit and life. And I love what Peter says here uh, in, in just a few verses down. He says, after this, uh, John says uh, as a narration, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life man i wish more of us had that resolve where where else do i turn but you you have the words of eternal life but that brings us back what is the word of life is it talking about jesus or is it talking about how we can have life through the words that jesus spoke and my conclusion is that there's no reason to make a distinction that that is my conclusion here is that yes this is the message of how you can have life, but that message is Jesus. The message is Jesus. He is the word of life. He is what makes life, eternal life, possible for us. Jesus is the word of life. You say, well, what is the word of life? What is the content of this message about Jesus? I'm going to give this to you in, in, in a handful of parts, but I, I think it will make sense to you. First, our sin has separated us from the life of Jesus. Our sin has separated us from the life of Jesus. I think that's a part of the word of life, by the way. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. We need to recognize that there is a sin problem that breaks our fellowship with God, that breaks our, our absorbing the, the life of Jesus flowing through us. You say, well, where do you get that? It happened right there in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they were walking, talking with, enjoying God, communing with God, doing fellowship and relationship with God, and God gives Adam a command, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, my question is that, that I hope has crossed your mind before is, was God lying to Adam when he said that? In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You flip the page to Genesis 3, uh, verse 6. Both Adam and Eve eat the fruit of this tree, and they don't die. Or do they? They physically live quite a while. We don't know how long Eve lived, 
Adam, we know from Genesis 5, lived to be 930 years old. Pretty good. I'm on my way. He lived a very long time. So the question is, was God being untruthful when he said, if you eat of this, you will surely die. And then he continues living. My answer is, no, God was not lying. While they continued to live physically, biologically, they were separated from the life of God. You could say they were spiritually dead because their life was coming from relationship with God. Yes, they still had biological life. By the way, the Greek makes this separation. There's the word life called bios, from which we get biology. Then there is the word zoe, from which we get spiritual life, this life that flows from Jesus. And we see it even there in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, Adam, out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. They were, they were, they were pushed out of life because of sin. They died that day. Not physically, not biologically, but a spiritual death occurred. And that, by the way, is exactly how the New Testament talks about people before they trust in Christ. Uh, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. There you go. This death, not biological, this death spread to all men. We are all born dead spiritually, dead Ephesians 2, Paul talking about uh, the people's life and nature before salvation says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying up the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of life. No, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You say, well, I thought this was supposed to be the word of life. (laughs) You're talking about death. We need to know we are dead in order to get this life from Christ. We need to know about it. Remember how Jesus talked to Nicodemus. He says, in order to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. You need this new life put in you. Jesus thought it was important information, an important part of the word of life to realize we are dead. We are hopeless in our sin. We cannot earn our way back into God's favor. We cannot earn it by our wisdom, by by anything like that. We can't just ignore God and hope it'll go away. There is spiritual deadness, futility now in our lives. By the way, you talk about trying to make yourself happy. Romans 1 I'm not going to read it, but Romans 1 talks about how there's this spiral. We, we suppress the truth about God. We don't give him honor or thanks, and things just spiral. People seek all these messed up things to try to make them happy. 
because they are no longer living on the life of God. But that is not the end. If that were the end, it would not be good news. It would not be the word of life. Second, the, <coughs> second, the eternal life became manifest in the person of Jesus. We see that uh, multiple times here, that, that this eternal life became manifest. Uh, verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So God the Son lived eternally, forever, as eternal life. We rejected that life, believing the lie of Satan that we have a better way. We rejected that life of Jesus. But God did not reject us. This is, this is the astounding truth that, that enemies of God, as that song we just sang, dead spiritually, seeking our, our own desires, following the orders of Satan rather than God, eternal life steps into time. This is, this is profound. Eternal life steps into time. The immortal God takes on mortality. Then get this. Eternal life died that we might live. I mean, this, this is incredible. Now we know that he rose again, and we'll get to that. But in Christ... In, in Jesus, the eternal life took on humanity, uniting himself to us, representing us. Then he was a substitution. He was a substitution for our sins. A substitution for us in the wrath that we deserve. A substitution for the ones who have broken this fellowship with God Listen to what John will say late, later in 1 John uh, in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Say, what's a propitiation? It sounds neat, but I don't know what it means. A propitiation is, is literally a wrath bearer, a, a, a guilt bearer, an anger appeaser. We sinned against God, therefore we deserve punishment. Justice demands the punishment of these sins, and God is perfectly just. His anger even rages against our sins, to, to sin against the immortal God of the universe, the glorious God of the universe. And yet he shows us this love and by, that by sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, he bore the wrath, he bore the punishment, he built, bore the guilt and shame that we deserve. But then the verse before that said, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Jesus tasted death, spiritual death as well as physical death, and the, the wrath that we deserve 
so that we might live through him. And we see next, Jesus rose from the dead, unleashing spiritual life. This is my fourth little point of the word of life. Jesus rose from the dead, unleashing spiritual life. Listen to Peter uh, in 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your life is literally resurrection life. If, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you, if you have uh, been born again, that is resurrection life flowing through the, the veins of your heart. You say, well, what is this? What, what do I do to receive it? And we've already talked about this. We have the life of Jesus by believing on Jesus. Believing in what he's done. By, by clinging to him. Again, in 1 John chapter 5, beginning verse 12, he says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. You see that? If you have the Son, you have life. I write these to you who believe in the Son so that they may know they have life. It is by believing that we have the life of Christ. This is, this is profound stuff. That the eternal God, the eternally, eternal life, Bubbles over into creation. Creation rejects him, yet he steps into that creation to bear the punishment deserved and unleashing life for the dead sinners. This is absolutely incredible. Now, there is more here that I want to show you, though. You say, well, that's cool. I don't want eternal wrath. So, yeah, Jesus, cool. That'll work. But that is not John's direction here, a get-out-of-hell-free card. Let me show you this. Number three, again, if you like to write things. Number three, Jesus is the life we've been seeking. So we're, we're working really hard, by the way. Humans are working really hard to make themselves happy. We, we, we go, go all different routes, but we're all seeking happiness. Some people seek success. I'm going to build up uh, my, my, my acclaim in, in business or, or whatever, success, or maybe sports or whatever. Some people seek relationships. If I just had that significant other, it, then I would be happy. Some people trust in their looks. I need to be the strongest. I need to be the prettiest. I need to be the most handsome, whatever. Some people look to pleasure. Again, sexual immorality, drunkenness, or even just comfort, continual comfort. People spend their lives, so much time, energy, emotion, and money trying to do the, believe, the things that we believe will make us happy. And all of it fails us. And the reason is because Jesus is the life that we've been seeking. And I, by the way, even before I dive into this, I want to I say this is absolutely true for the non-Christian. You, you can go ahead and quit trying to be happy and, and find it in Jesus. You can trust in him, his life, the word of life. 
you can begin this path of, of complete joy and true joy. But I also want to say for the Christian, don't forget your first love. It is so easy to trust in him, to have a, a, a mountaintop experience of joy in him, this complete joy, but then to turn right back and, and into the patterns. Yeah, maybe you don't sin as much. Maybe you don't you know, do as many blatant bad things, but you kind of go back to living for yourself. And I will tell you, th- this, is, this is the life you're seeking to. Look at how John describes this life, what happens. In verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So again, this is in a a world of of competing religions, competing, competing versions of Christianity. And John is saying, look, if, if you believe in this one true eternal life of Christ, the word of life, then, then you can have fellowship with us. Otherwise, we got to break fellowship. And, and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have any true, deep heart fellowship to begin with. But he says the, the reason we can't have fellowship otherwise is this. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our, our fellowship that, that we can keep or, or not keep is based on our fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We could list also the Holy Spirit, but He doesn't, just because the Holy Spirit isn't under attack right now. You say, okay, fellowship with God. What, what does that have to do with life and the life that I've been seeking? Listen to John thirteen seventeen. Jesus says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, friends. This is the life of Christ. This is the joy-giving, satisfying, enduring happiness we're looking for. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is a beautiful reality that we can have fellowship with God. That word fellowship you know, it's a uniquely Christian word, uh, but it is a deep word. Fellowship literally means a sharing of life. Work with me here. Open your minds to this. There is eternal life out there. It's always been there. All of life sprang up from him. And we can now have fellowship with that God. This is eternal life that they know you. That we fellowship, that we share in your life. And you can even think about it this way. Within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is fullness of joy. There is never anything less than fullness of joy. And God invites us into the life of the Trinity. Fellowship with God. Enjoying the joy that they have of one another. This is the life that we've been seeking we, write, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, that's what John says, but it's exactly what Jesus says many times, by the way. And this is life, right? This is the one we should be looking to, the author of life who, who can tell us what is best for us, who did wire our capacity for joy. John fifteen eleven, speaking of obedience, by the way, 
He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In John 17, 13, speaking to the father, Jesus says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Again, that's the exact same Greek word all these times, that plerao, this, this complete joy. But then we think of life, this life we've been looking for. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, eternal life came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. So friends, anytime you think you know better than God, take your proper place. You are not eternal life. You are not the spring of life that bubbled over and created you. You are not the author of life. You're not the, the one who created the capacity for joy. In fact, We turned away from that one. And yet that one shows his love, shows his grace by entering our world, taking the punishment for our rejection of him, and giving us that life. And so I would say any unsaved, again, you, you can lay it down. You can lay down your sin. I know it seems fun, but it is nothing compared to Jesus. It is nothing compared to the life that Jesus offered. I, I, I'm with you. There was a day I believed it too. And it took God opening my eyes to get me to lay down my sin, to take up the life of Christ. I still fail, I know, but it's a pattern. And lay down the futility of, of chasing after thing after thing after thing to make you happy that will never satisfy. Drink deeply of Jesus. And he will satisfy. And I, I say that to, to the person who, who claims to be a Christian as well. By the way, I want to say this. If, if, if I'm talking about Christianity as this, this fellowship with God, this sharing of life, I mean, that, that's a real relationship. That's a real experience, a, a talking to and being talked to, a knowing and being known and, and finding deep joy in that, if that is foreign to you, you say, I've never even thought of it that way, you, you might want to check whether or not you're saved at all. Remember, Jesus is the word of life. Like he, he is the goal. He is what we are looking for. He not only accomplished our eternal life, he is the goal of eternal life, that we would know him and know the Father and find our deep joy in him. And so, so again, I... Uh, just, just test yourself. Test yourself. Do you, do you truly love God? Do you truly enjoy God? Do you, have you ever had anything that resembles a relationship with God? And then again, for those of us who are saved and you say relationship. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a tough word when you think about it with God. Like, is it a thing that you, you, you go home you go into your bedroom, you close the door behind you, or you go to a secluded place, and, and you sit there, and you do relationship with God. Does that happen in your life? I don't want to overcomplicate it or overly spiritualize it. What I'm saying is, open your Bible and open your mouth. <laughs> 
open your Bible so that God can speak to you and open your mouth so that you can speak to God. Do relationship with God. It is more than that, but it is certainly not less than that. Do relationship with God. Otherwise, I can tell you exactly why you don't experience this full joy. Now, I will say full, full, fullness of joy. The greatest capacity of joy will only happen in eternity when we are fully rid of sin, when, the, when we are seeing Jesus face to face, that is when we will experience uh, the, the completion of this fullness. But right now, there is a certain capacity of fullness that we have. And my question is, are, are you experiencing it? Are you experiencing that joy? Or do you find yourself looking everywhere else for joy? I use the analogy pretty often. But when you know you have a table set there with with all this delicious, juicy food, crisp fruit, and great desserts, you don't go digging in the trash can. I wonder how many of us go digging in the trash can, even though that table's right there for us to enjoy fellowship with God. Jesus is eternal life, Jesus is the word of life, and Jesus is the life we've been seeking Let's set our minds on him. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we so often take our eyes off of you, that we set them on lesser things. This is why we stumble into sin. This is why we feel so empty. This is why we spend so much time and energy chasing the next high, the next experience, the next pleasure. Because we are not satisfied in you. God, we confess that now, but we thank you. We thank you that Jesus, eternal life, stepped into our life to give life. Thank you that we don't have to live separate from you, spiritually dead anymore, but we can live eternal life right now, knowing you, knowing the Son, doing fellowship, relationship, a sharing of life with you. Oh God, would you save anyone who is now spiritually dead? God, would you make them alive? Would you make them born again? Would you make them cling to Jesus, who is their only hope of life? And God, for those of us who have already trusted in him, let us not forget that eternal life has already begun for us. That we can know you right now. We can do relationship with you right now based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. His blood covering our sins. His resurrection giving us that life in relationship with you. God, help us to seek you rather than everything that this world tries to offer us that will not truly satisfy God, do this thing in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.